0: This time uh, I'd like to invite the children to be dismissed to the courtyard with Ela, and to invite up our preacher this morning, Ian Trevithan. Always good when you see the guest preacher, <laughs> so you don't have to do an extemporaneous word. So Ian uh, is, uh, is, has been with us uh, here at St. Peter's since October of 2019. Uh, he's a uh, uh, an educator with the department of education uh, and is here to uh, share with us what the spirit is saying between the readings uh, on the topic of wisdom so ian thank you so much for being here and please thank you you can be seated
1: Uh, Good morning. It's good to be with you all. I'll just elaborate a little bit more on who is this person standing in front of you um, before we jump into the word together. I've lived in New York City for the past 15 years. Uh, I'm originally from the Midwest, from Michigan originally. Uh, As Father Michael said, I've been an educator for the last 15 years. Uh, I was a classroom teacher for a decade uh, in West Harlem and then in the Bronx. I've worked for Central for the last couple of years, um, and I've been worshiping here at St. Peter's. Uh, The Pandemic has made my math weird. (laughs) So about a year and a half since October 2019. um, This has been a really good spiritual home to me. So would you pray with me, and then we'll get down to business. Father God, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm wondering if you have also experienced decision fatigue. That's that feeling of having to make a lot of decisions in a short amount of time. So when I was a classroom teacher, I was making decisions constantly in the moment decisions about which students to work with trying to read the room thinking about what feedback can i be giving to kids how to respond to some new situation i encountered some new challenge decision making is even more difficult when you're operating with limited information that's certainly why i've experienced some decision-making fatigue during the pandemic I've had a persistent sense of needing to make choices with limited information, with limited guidance. And I've been leading a team that trains teachers in public school classrooms across the city. So with limited clarity, we've had to make difficult and partially informed decisions, and they have real impacts on people. And all of that has left me really tired. So in preparing for today, I read our lectionary passages and considered the question, what themes are developed across these texts? And very quickly, the repetition of the word wisdom in most of these readings stood out to me. So I wanna meditate on wisdom with you, especially when this past season has demonstrated how limited my own wisdom is in the face of the pandemic and in other life events. So there's three observations I'd like to make about wisdom. The first is that wisdom comes to those who are humble enough to receive it. That God's wisdom often challenges our own wisdom. And that wisdom is like daily bread. So wisdom comes to those who are humble enough to receive it. We heard Amy read that story from 1 Kings of a young King Solomon. It might be a familiar one to you. So Solomon is probably around the age of 20. His father David has died and he's preparing to become king. With his youth and inexperience, God comes to him in a dream and makes a remarkably open prompt, ask what I should give you. Solomon asks for understanding, and God is pleased. Does God value wisdom so much more highly than wealth and status that that's the source of God's pleasure? I don't think so. I think, I think God is pleased by Solomon's humility. It's rooted in an honest appraisal of himself. Solomon doesn't want wisdom for wisdom's sake, to be known as a wise person. He actually knows he needs it because he lacks so much knowledge and experience as he's preparing to become king. You know, a song that I've really loved is called Strength, Courage, and Wisdom by India Iree. I've loved it for a long time now. And as much as I love it, I can't fully embrace this song. She sings, strength, courage, and wisdom, it's been inside me all along. It's a really, really lovely idea, but it rings hollow for me. Sometimes I can muster some inner strength. I'm marathon training again. You can see me all over up and down the west side of Manhattan these days. (laughs) Uh, And on some longer runs, when I'm getting tired, I can dig deep and finish strong with yesterday being an enormous exception, because (laughs) writing yesterday was awful in the heat and humidity. Um, And if I'm honest, my own courage and my own wisdom fail me all the time. So it's such good news to me that wisdom comes from outside of me, that it's a gift that God gives freely and generously if we would receive it. It's really interesting to me that this exchange between Solomon and God happens while Solomon is sleeping. (laughs) It gives Solomon much less agency, and that's probably the point. He isn't being set up as a hero, despite his incredible social position. Rather, he is inexperienced, needy, anxious, probably still grieving his father's death, and in way over his head. He tells God, I'm only a little child. I don't know how to go in or come out, go out or come in, excuse me. I wonder if Solomon would ever have been able to say these things out loud. I assume he would have been under huge pressure to put on a brave face. But God doesn't require that Solomon admit these things before God shows up and intervenes. God knows these things about Solomon already, so he visits him in his sleep and says, ask what I should give you. And as Solomon responds honestly, God grants him his petition and a lot more besides. A few chapters earlier in this book, we find the statement, don't be wise in your own eyes. This is presented as folly, as wisdom's opposite. It's an expression of lacking humility. You have nothing to learn if you know everything already. You don't need direction if you think you know the way. We should be cautious if we find these kinds of attitudes creeping up in our hearts they represent a posture towards god that communicates i've got this i don't need you when nothing could be further from the truth you know that's actually what ends up happening to solomon in chapter three we're presented with this youthful solomon sorry in chapter one youthful solomon who's asking for wisdom and understanding. And just a handful of chapters later, it's revealed that the posture of Solomon's heart changes. His rule of Israel is marked with cruelty. His heart is hardened towards God and the kingdom of Israel is divided in two. This should make us sober because it reveals the frequent gap between God's hopes and desires for how people would live, and the reality it's often very different from that. May we remain attuned to our urgent need for God's leading and wisdom, and take courage that God is so quick to respond to even our limited attempts, even our unconscious attempts to seek God's way. God's wisdom often challenges our wisdom. Sometimes it's difficult to know what's truly wise because God's wisdom can seem like foolishness to us. I think we see this in the Proverbs passage. Here we encounter a poem where wisdom is personified. Wisdom is portrayed as a wealthy and generous host. She has built her home She's prepared a feast. Notice who she invites to the feast. She says, you that are simple, turn in here. To those without sense, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. When I imagine a wealthy hostess, I imagine her inviting the powerful, the intelligent, and the beautiful. And yet wisdom behaves very differently here. All this sounds very much like the upside down kingdom of God that Jesus proclaims, doesn't it? God seeks out the lowly and the poor, not the powerful and the proud. God's wisdom often looks very different to the wisdom of our world. I have to think that Jesus might have had this passage in mind when he tells the parable of the great banquet that we find in both Matthew and Luke's gospels. In that story, the wealthy host sends his servants to call his guests to the feast table. And all the guests make excuses and they just don't show up. In Luke, the host says, go out at once into the street and streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. To many, this is foolishness. Even if we might not want to say that aloud, our world teaches us to look out for our own benefit. Why would we welcome guests that have little or nothing to give in return? And yet, this is the wisdom of God if we would receive it. In Matthew's version of the parable, the servants go out into the streets and gather all all of whom they found, both good and bad. Why would the host invite the deserving and the undeserving? Here again, God's wisdom and our own wisdom may be at odds. Who do we want to see be rewarded? Who do we want to see punished? And how do those line up with God's values? Each of us will have our own answers to these questions. So I'll answer for myself. I'm proud to have worked in an office for the last four years that really highly prizes equity and anti-racism. Over the last couple of months, I helped my team rewrite our curriculum to center on culturally responsive teaching, because we know that students are typically that schools are typically centered on whiteness, even in a place like New York City, where 75% of our students identify as black, indigenous or people of color. I want to reward teachers who deeply invest in knowing all of their students who affirm and support students to develop their racial identities, who tell the truth about history in our country and current events, who equip their students to be critical about how race and power and privilege function, and who hold all of their students to high expectations. And by contrast, if I'm honest, I wanna punish teachers who make their classrooms inhospitable to the identities of their students who enforce white-centered norms, who teach a whitewashed version of history and deal with their students unfairly and harshly. And the thing is that when I read scripture, I know God values all the peoples of the earth. God is grieved by xenophobia, anti-blackness and colorism, and promises to be close to the oppressed. So honestly, I'm offended to think that in God's wisdom, God has invited both the good and the bad to the feast of his kingdom. I know that when God's justice reorders our world, there will be a reckoning for the ways that white supremacy has violated the image of God in countless people over centuries. And I'm hopeful that God's mercy will bring about some of that in the years to come. But can you see how I've been wise in my own eyes? in what I've just shared. How I've assumed I'm one of the good ones. How I've ignored my countless failings as a teacher, particularly to my black and brown students. How I've supported the status quo and haven't spoken up in moments of injustice. I've made myself good in my own eyes and maybe even tried to convince you that I'm good. And I'm not. My only hope is that God
0: welcomes the good and the bad. God's
1: wisdom is most clearly demonstrated in Jesus's crucifixion, which Paul says was a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Greeks. And it really does seem like foolishness sometimes, that God, who is eternal and the creator of all, would become a human person in Jesus. That's a wild thought. That Jesus would live a perfect life and would willingly submit to death at the hands of an unjust colonial regime and with the full support of the religious establishment, it's also hard to fathom that God's triune self that has existed through all time as a dance of love would let itself be ripped apart by the death of Jesus seems crazy to me.
0: What is this foolishness? This is the foolishness of God's love towards us. Our culture is
1: wise to say that love will make you do crazy things, but rather than lose one of us, our all-wise God has gone to these lengths to love us and to welcome us from the places that we've wandered senselessly to an abundant feast that God has made ready for us. Us, the good and the bad. Wisdom is like daily bread. There will be moments of feasting in our lives on this side of heaven. We'll have times of abundance. God will speak clearly. God's love will feel especially close to us and wisdom will come
0: easily and profoundly. But much
1: of our lives will be simply eating bread, like when God provided manna to Israel in the wilderness, not lavish and splashy, but simple, sustaining, and just what we need. So I wanna share a few ideas about how we might make an ordinary practice of seeking wisdom in our day-to-day lives. And in fact, I wanna give us a little space to try this out a bit together. So, a first thing we might simply do is to be honest about where we are lacking wisdom, to confess that, to name that to God, and to ask for guidance. So I'll pause in just a moment. And I'd love to have you think about these questions. Is there a situation in which you find you need wisdom? What is that situation?
0: What's the help that you need?
1: Let's consider that question for a moment. And I'd also invite you to turn that into a prayer. To just simply name, this is the thing I don't know what to do
0: about God. But I know that you know.
1: Our Ephesians reading today tells us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks to God at all times and in everything. In a commentary I found by Walter Brueggemann, he says that thanksgiving is a powerful antidote to the world's foolishness. So my next prompt for you, What can you be thankful for, including in the challenging situation in which you find
0: yourself? And as you name those things, what impact does gratitude to God have on your spirit? Let's take a moment to think on those things now. Let's remember
1: that God's wisdom is different to the wisdom of our culture and of our day. It may surprise and even
0: offend us, but it's true wisdom.
1: How does our culture tell us to view the situation that you've been thinking about? What does it counsel you to
0: do? And how does Jesus'
1: upside-down, inside-out kingdom challenge you to view this situation?
0: Which of these have you been operating out of? The wisdom of our culture or the wisdom that comes from God?
1: And as you reflect on that, Is God inviting you to respond in some small kind of way? In our reading from John today, Jesus says that his followers should eat his flesh and drink his blood, that we might abide with him. This is strange language, (laughs) and it generates a controversy with his audience, but it's clearly pointing to the Eucharist communion for those of you who, like me, didn't grow up in a very liturgical tradition. Jesus invites us to share in his death, that we might share in his life that remakes the world. In a little while, we will process out and we'll celebrate the Eucharist in the courtyard. We'll let Michael drink his blood on our behalf, because of COVID, (laughs) and we'll receive a wafer that we might eat Jesus's flesh. In that commentary I mentioned a moment ago, I read this. Ingesting the elements binds the participant in a unique way to the Son of Man, who loses nothing of what God has given him. That word really encourages me. When I think of Solomon's ultimate trajectory of faithlessness and foolishness, It makes me anxious. I worry, will I become so comfortable, so distracted in my life that I might eventually abandon Jesus? But this reminds me who the faithful one is. (laughs) It isn't me. It's Jesus who was foolish enough because of his overwhelming love for us that he would die to have us forever. Jesus says, Whoever eats me will live because of me. So when Leisha and Michael place the wafer in your hand, if you choose to participate, I invite you to take comfort in this concrete act that is simultaneously full of wonder. Would you open your heart in that moment to receive the wisdom? That God extends to us. Finally, we will leave from here. We'll go our separate ways into the week that's to come. Wisdom is a fruit that's born of abiding with God, abiding in Christ. Is there an invitation for how you might do that this week?
0: offered to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.